Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I am honored to have you with us today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. It is a thrill to have back with me again today an individual who came from very modest means and overcame huge obstacles to become an accomplished investor and syndicator. You can learn more about his incredible journey from child refugee to successful investor by going to our website, steetalker.com, and tuning into our former podcast, Creekside Chats with Successful Real Estate Investors, Episode 41. Our guest real estate investment accomplishments include the acquisition of a portfolio of commercial real estate assets located in Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama. In addition to real estate investing, he serves as head of tax for a leading IT software company. It is a pleasure to welcome Jonathan Weeb. Jonathan, start us off by sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, Alan. Good to be on your show. Yes. Yeah, so I think one of my items and memories I realized was I wanted to be able to be an entrepreneur at heart. I wanted to be able to also give back to my community and I wanted to sort of build a legacy for myself. And that's why I decided to create a company, Greystone Capital Group, which is my multifamily and self-storage syndication firm to offer investors alternative means to investing from stocks, hedge inflation, give tax benefit breaks, and also give you know consistent passive cash flow so that they can benefit from these great investments that I, I find. Well, interesting. And you've certainly done an excellent job of getting into that business and becoming an entrepreneur here. Well, let's go into one of your recent transactions, and that is the transaction where you acquired a recreational real estate storage facility in West Texas. And just kind of take us through the bare bones of that from finding the property, underwriting, the due diligence, LOI, contract inspections, borrowing and raising capital, and finally closing and operations, although you've only been operating that just a few weeks, actually, I think. But take us through that process. Oh, yeah, sure. I initially found us in, I think, May timeframe when my partner has some broke relationships. He brought it to my attention. He initially does initial underwriting to see if it makes sense for us. And he said, oh, we have this deal in West Texas, which is in, in my home state. And I said, okay, just send it over if you think it's something that it's um, you know, doable and it makes sense. I don't mind doing a deeper dive and you know, being, insert my conservatism and my underwriting into that to make sure it really pencils out. I did that and I liked the deal. And I said, okay, you know what? This makes sense. It's a new, it's a relatively new sort of asset class. It's a boat storage versus a multifamily or a mini storage. And I said, okay, we can, we can do this. And this will be you know, our first RB boat storage. So I submitted my offer to the broker. We got into a multiple bidding situation with different offers. And he said to be best and final, give me your best shot. Um, kind of call for offers for a multifamily. So you do best and final and you give me, you up to a price and you give me better terms. And then uh, I, I actually beat the other, the couple other folks because I increased the price a little more. And I made a little sweeter terms. 
you know, shorter closing periods. And then, you know, we'll, and we also always have extension in my contract. So we need extensions. And then I won. And the broker said, you know, I'll give you the opportunity because I know that you could close. And I said, that's wonderful. So we, we accepted the offer. Well, then uh, you go into a really deep dive into, into your due diligence. This being your first recreational facility, I expect that that due diligence process was probably more extensive than what you often do because you were going into new territory. So what all were you looking for in looking at not only the financials, but what, what kind of things were you considering in looking at? Well, there's a whole host of things when you look at a new, a sort of new asset class. Something that is new that I mean, haven't done before. I also spoke to people who already operate that. Some people who I know my contacts who owns RV boat storage, and I realized it's very, it's a very fairly simple business. It's not difficult. And what your vision is to how you're going to value at it, how you're going to add value to your investors, what are you going to bring to the table? How can you achieve your objective? That's really what you're thinking of. And then we also brought on a, a senior advisor who has many, many like thirty years experience. To help you know shape the vision, help give guidance, and we ask a lot of questions. And he was very instrumental in, in doing our feasibility study, market reports, and value, giving us advice of value adding it. So, so we did that. We spent. Uh, we flew there. We drove down there from from my home, and uh, my partner flew down from Silicon Valley. And we both you know toured it. We analyzed it. We met with the current manager. We assessed situation, and we put a, a game plan together, a list of what we needed, the estimates. So what you do is you get a lot of contracts to go out there and say, how much will it cost to maybe put gravel on the road? How much would it cost to build a new canopy yeah, so to house the RV boats and storage? Uh, how much would it cost to you know change this, uh, automate the gate process? So you get all these quotes. And then once we have a survey roundabout number, I always bump it up a little more to be conservative. Because you know at these, these days, the lumber price and supply chain is in constrained. So what happens is next a month or two months when you close might be a little higher price, right? Because everything's going up. So we did that and then we really liked it. I proceeded forward. I told her as I'm gonna go forward. We got a loan from the SBA, Small Business Lending Association, which um at the time gave me a really good big break. They said we'll give you three months for free and we'll waive the your it's like thirty seven thousand dollars of fees that supposed to charge you, the small business administration to waive that. Of COVID nineteen and stuff like that, pandemic, and then we took advantage of that because that's the only one that will give you that kind of benefit versus the local bank. And we just you know put our earnest money down and went forward, you know, just you know, and then did a lot of due diligence and background, and then we got our financing, we got approved, a commitment letter, and then we were trying to get all these items together, and then you know we closed October nine thirty, October first, around there we closed, and it took me three days to. Go operational. We've been three days transition, two days, and then we had it fully automated, basically in two three days. So wow, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, going to automation in three days time—that's that's quite an undertaking in and of itself. But I've got a question before we go into that, and that is: What are the major risk factors in going into a recreational storage facility? Uh, I say, I say the risk factor is that if someone either don't want to rent your space or sell the RV, then you have less space. But since we did our due diligence and we know the numbers, we know everywhere is full, our competitors are full, we felt confident that we can get you know above 90% occupancy. And when we closed, we only had three vacancy, and now we have only one vacancy left. So we know that in a couple of weeks, 
two were filled up. And we also went to market market rent and, and we were able to lease, we were able to lease it out. So that means that if there's high demand for it, that's part of our, our study we did on due diligence. And we know that that's correct. And now we're executing our vision to try to put like a chip seal gravel so we can clean up the open areas and do a, do more spaces in a, in a slanted way so you can park properly and fill more spaces up in the site map. So we're doing that uh, our expansion plan right now. Okay, yeah, that was my next question. What were you going to do for value add when you're getting a facility that is already maxed out in terms of uh, of leasing opportunities, but you're you're creating more space is how you're primarily adding value to it. Are there yes. other strategies that you're going to put in place for value add? Yeah, so we're gonna put a new canopy after we clean up the, the gravel in the space and the weeds in the back. We're gonna site map it, lay out nice, you know, like gravel so they can drive very cleanly and then have an even space. And then we're gonna lay the, the canopy, which you can charge a premium of six dollars more. So we get we get a higher demand because they want can uh, cover space. So that will help us in that regards to get and also we're gonna lease out the office which is not a benefit that we're posting up for lease now. So we're going to set the office, get more additional income, necessary income. I'm sorry, what were you going to do with the office? Lease it out right now because there's no one there's no one using it right now. Oh, okay, office. so it's a vacant space right now. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a little small commercial office we can lease out. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get more additional income. And we're fixing some of the light that was broken, put an LED, dust the dawn. We, we, we put cameras myself and then my, my facility manager helped me do a part of facility manager. Everything is that's done. It's just a matter of getting just in the gravel and the light. Okay. Well, take us through that three-day transition period. So you went from not being an owner and in three days you had it completely automated. How did you accomplish that? Well, we've we done this before for we own I own a facility and also my partner in Midway, Georgia. Mm-hmm. My partner has done it for two other facilities he owns. So we know how to automate, you know, the the software system. It comes with a call center. There's you go online, just rent it, it text your numbers, it's automated. So one thing we had to do was hire a local technician to install the gate software. Yeah. And then we just make sure it's programmed correctly, make sure test it works out. I, I I'm very handy with tech. I install the cameras myself with the property manager. I create a Wi-Fi hub myself because I know how to do that. My own multifamily uh, experience. I brought that over here and we made a, a, a Wi-Fi mesh across all those open spaces, those canopies. So every single one is a Wi-Fi mesh where you can just connect Wi-Fi remotely to, to those spots out, outdoors. And then we hook up some cameras that I know I use and it's solar. So, you, you don't you know, it's the way waste electricity and it runs 24 hours, seven. You can watch and, and record all the footages. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Wow, that's amazing. That's a quick turnaround, even for someone who's experienced in doing that. But I guess a lot of it was in the software package that, that comes with that. Well, that is a very interesting concept that you have going there. The So you, you went to the USBA for your loan. Is that a different process than what you would do in a multifamily? Or can you go to SBA in multifamily as well? 
generally SBA don't do multifamily, as I understand. Um, normally, it's agency loans like Freddie Mac, Penny Mae. Mm-hmm. And so that's why like, you have different kind of lenders who is focused on multifamily and they don't do self-storage. It's a two different asset class. So they don't, but I talked to my lender about, you know, self-storage. So I don't, I don't really handle that. That's my, my forte. You know, look, call a local bank or go to SBA. That's not what they do. So we went to a bank that's very famous here that does mostly most SBA loans. Okay. So I guess it being an SBA loan, they are looking at this more as a business rather than like a multifamily is not considered a business. It's multifamily. But even though this has a self-storage component to it, it's still considered a business. But I guess self-storage are sometimes considered as businesses as well. Is that right? Yeah, so they, it's a di- the, the major difference is that you as a owner operator, meaning that you are a thing like a mom and pop, mm-hmm. you own it and you operate it like, like, a, like, a, like a business, like you own a laundromat or you own an ice cream store. And that's a very different view than multifamily syndication because that's it's like a different level where Freddie Mac knows that you don't buy yourself. You don't buy a $10 million building in, in, you know, in like, you know, Charlottesville, North Carolina yourself. You don't, you don't do that. It's not like a mom and pop owner operated. So the dairy queen operation, right? It's, it's not like that. Whereas SBA views you more like you buy a self storage, more like you own it, or you partner, you run it. It's more like a JV structure, right? If you will. So, so did you do a capital raise for this in addition to the to the SBA loan? Yeah, I did a. I'm a syndicate, so I did I did a raise. Okay. And then we we raised the money. We also implemented a lot of these, you know, setups and and everything else we needed to. And how did that capital raise go? How was it different from multifamily? Uh, it's, it's different. We have to explain to your investors who is within my circle that, listen, this is not multifamily. I know you know multifamily very well. You have to know that. This is RV storage. And actually, in my view, is a better asset class than multifamily because there's no tenant toilets and termites, which is the three T's that no one really likes, right? Because, because what your biggest expense is your make break, make break cost, as you know, is if that tenant moves out, he lives at 10 years, he probably, it's not in good shape. So you probably spend a few thousand dollars just to make ready. And that's the biggest expense you have. Whereas in, RV store, there's no make ready. It's just an empty parking lot. So there's really no, you know, there's those the big three T's that will hurt you in your in your cash flow, right? Because because uh, your cash flow is really in multifamily. It's your make ready cost is really high. Your property tax, your insurance, and payroll. Those are your biggest. But those those are fixed. Like mostly, property tax and insurance is fixed. But your variables, your make ready. Because if if someone leaves, if five people leaves, right, then you have five. You know, you have a few weeks to get, get ready and you do a lot in that one month, it's going to hurt you that month because there's a lot of cash flow going out. Mm-hmm. So you need a significant amount of reserves in position of anything to happen for multifamily. Whereas you don't need much in an RV storage because there's not much to really turn around or, or fix because it's a, metal, it's a metal roof, canopy, and it's a parking lot, basically. So there's really not, not, you know, not much significant capex you need. So... Generally, multifamily, most operators consider that they're doing pretty good if they can get their expenses down to about 45%. What are you running with the, the recreational facility? I underwritten like around 40% to be conservative. I'm very conservative because of the property tax increase in Texas. However, I think uh, if it doesn't increase to the level we, we're thinking of, I can get down to like 35 or even 30% expense ratio which is a normal ratio for a self-storage. And oftentimes in multifamily, we're not really expecting even to have cash flow, at least for the first quarter. When are you expecting cash flow? 
I would do right after the first quarter, which is January 15th, my first decision to my investor, which I told him because I'm confident because the first three months is paid by the SBA, number one. And number two, we are already cash flowing from day one. I can see it already from the first few weeks of operations. And we were almost full, basically one vacancy left. And a lot of stuff that I reserved was raising capital for reserves, right? Stuff that I need to do the one-time like gate installation or set up the one-time cost of the of the acquisition cost. Those are one time you get raised for those. So that's why it's not going to impact your PL for day to day for that month. Right. So I'll distribute after the first quarter. Well, that is impressive. And it really puts a whole different spin on real estate investing. So you've been in there about a month. You've got your security cameras, you've got it automated. And you say that you have the automation includes really kind of a, a customer service component an automated customer service component. So what kind of interactions are you actually having with the tenants? This is the reason why I call it self-storage because it's really, you don't have no interaction. It's self-storage. When they have a, an issue, for example, they call a call center, they handle most 90% of the time. Those 10 percent we have the boots on the ground facility manager and it'll go to them to resolve any local issues that we cannot resolve you know, remotely through the call center. So is your on-site manager, is that a full-time position? No, that's a part-time position, and we found a really well-qualified sort of husband and wife team who does manage on facility nearby, mm-hmm. and they're very experienced and know what we're looking for and the same software they use. So it's just like you know easy for us to to handle and manage. So. Yeah, great. There's very little maintenance as compared to multifamily, but still there is maintenance. So is that generally contract, or do you have an on-site person for? Yeah, so the facility manager will maintain basically what you maintain is the weeds around, like any weeds, mm-hmm. spray the weed killers, weeds, and just mow the lawn. You, you do that, and that's the maintenance they do, maybe a few oh. hours a week, and and that's and that's really that's all the maintenance you have. Because there's really nothing more than that that you have to maintain. Just make sure it's keep clean, make sure the weeds don't grow, and a lot of we're gonna pave through gravel, so there's be more lesser work for them. We did a one-time fee to just clean up all the stuff that need to be done. We, we did that like past weekend. But then after that, they can maintain it just a few hours. We just go there and, and mow the lawn or cut the weed or something. And that, that's it. Well, that's really amazing. And, and then your security cameras, not only can you keep an eye on the security, but you can tell from your security cameras if your managers are actually doing what they need to be doing in terms of maintaining the property. Sounds like an amazing, amazing investment there. Well, any other last words on that? No, I'm just very happy, grateful that everything went very smoothly. But we worked hard for it. We did, we did our planning. And we went to day one and went very smoothly and transitioned very well. And even the, the foreign manager, I had a great relationship with him. I said, listen, mm-hmm. you're a great guy. It's nothing personal. We just want someone who's a little more handy. Uh, he wanted his job because he's a retired cop. Mm-hmm. And he wanted like a you know, part-time job to keep him busy and you know, he, he loved that job. And I said, listen, nothing, nothing really personal. It's just that we need someone who's a handy, who kind of had a little more experience, but more like understanding it. And he, he understood. And then I treated him to dinner, him and his wife, and he was very happy. So he really likes us. And we parted in good terms, you know, so nothing like that. And everything went very smoothly. We transitioned very well. We contacted each. So in the beginning, you contact each owner to email or call them and say, listen, this is a new ownership. Please go to our website and register your account. And you can do auto pay, put a credit card. And just like a gym membership, just automatically deducts your account. So you don't need, there's no, there's no bad debt basically after that. Zero bad debt. 
because you, you're charging your credit card. So very low bad debt, no bad debt, and then just, just and it's leasing up really fast at a market rate. So. Well, excellent. So where are you going from here? What are your future plans? Uh, yeah, so I might acquire more or develop, or I mean, buy land, develop RV storage, mini storage. And I'm also, I'm a multifamily guy at core. It's waiting for the market to kind of cool down a little bit, and kind of uh, wait on the sidelines to see where it's at. And unless I get an off-market deal, then I can, I'll go back into multifamily. I, I know it very well. Uh, been doing it for, you know, a couple of years now, and I know the ins and outs of it. So I can, you know, actually get, you know, a large property and, and, you know, manage it very well. The key is your property manager and your team. And once you can do that and do it very well, we can run a really, really, we could do a very good job in making a significant amount of cash flow. Cause I do, I uh, do very well now in my, in one Oklahoma city that I manage. I'm, do, I'm doing a great cash flow every month and my investors are very happy with the distribution and, you know, and we might put it in so for sale. So it's a great, great time to sell as well. So yeah, it is a great time to sell. Not the greatest time to purchase though, is it? Yeah. Uh, yes. A- challenging times there for buyers well jonathan tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you uh sure you can email me info at graystonecapgroup.com that's g-r-e-s-t-o-n-e-c-a-p cap group.com i'll go to my website graystonecapgroup.com and you click there's a button for my email or contact me and join my investor network if you want to invest passively with me and i also um, have a podcast on there you can listen to as well Well, excellent. Well, one last question before we go here, Jonathan, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life. How did you come through that time and what did you learn from that? The most difficult setback in my life was, I think in the beginning when I purchased this apartment building, I was too trusting. I was too sort of trusting the property manager and, you know, saying she's saying she's leasing it up and she's doing this and that. And I'm I'm looking at the results every single week. Is, it seems like excuses after excuses. And I, I realized that we cannot continue with her excuses because in reality, what she's telling me, she's trying to, she's trying to play me up and saying everything's going well, but the results don't show that. So I had to make the decision and say, listen, I have to let her go and find a different property manager to run the apartment. And you're going to see that when you do multifamily investing. So the key is you have to, have to find the right property manager and make sure you, you know, maintain that and have asset management meetings every week and making sure they execute into your KPIs because otherwise... You, you know, it's going to be an issue because if they don't perform, I mean, you, you, it's going to put your bottom line. So, so. Absolutely. Those are hard decisions to make. Anything dealing with personnel because it gets personal. Well, Jonathan, yeah. it has been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com. 